uh, child dedications. And so I'm going to ask him to come up now. I don't want to mix up the baby's names, so I'm going to make sure I get this right. So uh, Lorraine, Leanne, Dwyer, why don't you come up and please bring Ezra, Ntando, and Mandy and Charlie with uh, Lisa Kanya, and then Charlotte Kutsia, uh, if you could come up with Logan. Thank you. I love these times, every single time we do it. Um, because what we're doing here is we aren't just giving thanks to God for the amazing gifts um, that these families have received. Um, there's a line being drawn in the sand today. Uh, and so as much as we're, it's a child dedication, it, it really is very much a parent dedication to the task of raising these little ones to know Jesus and to reflect the heart of Jesus to them as best as possible. Um, and so this is just a, an awesome time. This is a, not a small decision. It's a big one that these parents have made. Um, but the beautiful thing is they make it in community with us. So we get to stand with them, support them, pray with them. Um, and so you're dedicating your children into and as families into this community, which we're so pleased for. So how we do this is um, we're going to hand the mark down and we have asked the parents to pray over their children. And so that's going to happen. And then we as a community are going to pray over them. Rory, do you want to start? No nerves, eh? <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for entrusting us with Ezra. Thank you for the blessing, for blessing us with this perfect and precious gift from above. We commit ourselves today to raising him to the best of our ability and to teaching him to honor you and love you with all his heart and all his soul. We ask that you guide us in our decision making and how we discipline him and how we act ourselves. So as to act always, so, as to always ensure that we are setting a good example for Ezra. Please equip us with the necessary wisdom and discernment to raise Ezra according to the plan you have for his life. Please help us both to be fully present in our parenting journey and make our shortcomings known to us so that we are able to better ourselves as Ezra's parents every day. Lord, we ask that you will guard Ezra and be with him every day of his life. Strengthen his faith and desire to know you, Lord, and help him to experience your grace and love as we have experienced it in our lives. Help him to know that you are his provider and his protector, and that he can come to you with absolutely anything. We thank you for the privilege of being able to dedicate Ezra to you, Lord. We promise to love him and cherish him, to protect him, and to do our best for him every day until the day he returns to your kingdom. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hi, church. Uh, Lisa Kanya, we thank God for you. Our prayer is that you will know Jesus and be known by him for you to be secure in his love and who he has called you to be. May you live your life fully in the knowledge that you are loved. The Lord blesses you, protects you. The Lord smiles on you and be gracious to you. The Lord shows you his favor and gives you peace. We pray that you never be afraid to seek knowledge and help from God in your time of need and protection and guidance as you grow and mature. God loves you. We pray that such knowledge shall not be hidden to you and you get to experience God's love. As I close in prayer, um, 
My child, I want to speak these words into your life. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. Um, he will not fail you or forsake you. Dear Lord, I thank you for this precious gift, this beautiful child whom we dedicate to you today. I pray you send your Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and counsel my child. Sorry. Always assist her to grow in wisdom and stature, in grace and knowledge, in kindness, compassion, and love. May Logan serve you faithfully with her whole heart devoted to you. I pray that I'm able to live a life that will be a testimony for Logan to follow with you at the center, that she always knows how deeply loved she is by me and how fearfully and wonderfully made she is. Lord, you have a beautiful plan for her, and I pray you lead her to it. God, we knew, God knew we needed olive tree, and he led us here, and that is why after so many years, the time is right to dedicate ourselves to him as parents and child. I promise, Lord, to follow your word and guide her, and I'm so thankful for my family and friends and our new olive tree family that this will now be so. In, you, in your beautiful name, amen. Can we stand? Father God, thank you so much for each of these families here. I thank you for every parent. I thank you for the commitment they have made today, Father, to follow you firstly as children of yours and then to lead their own children to know you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you, um, as they have made these, made these commitments to you, Father, that you will apply so much grace to their lives. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be ever-present, that they would know your nearness, that they would know your underpinning on, on, on each of them, Father, that you would be a foundation for each of these households. I pray you would continually fill them to overflowing, God, with love, peace, joy, righteousness, and life, Father. We lift up each of these little ones to you. Thank you for the inheritance they already have in you, Jesus. We pray that they would find you early in life. We pray, Father, that they would learn to trust you with all of their life. Thank you, God, that you are our rock and foundation, and for these families, you will continue to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give them a hand? Well done. You, you are in for a journey, dudes. Anyway, it is so great to be with you here this morning. It is a good day. Uh, Africa is winning some things. We even won the rugby. Morocco, Portugal. I beat my boy in betting. Anyway, we, it is a great time. Uh, we just got a couple of announcements. The first is, if you're new with us and you want to get to know some of us um, outside afterwards, if you go straight upstairs above the coffee area, there'll be some staff there to meet with you. The second is, next Sunday, uh, if you want to have a Qatar experience watching the soccer, so, so you know what happens in Qatar, you, you go, you don't drink. So if you want that at 5 p.m. in the evening, next Sunday night, uh, we'll be watching soccer. There'll be a whole bunch of dads and lads. There'll be a whole bunch of granddads and, and 
moms who love soccer, uh, we, we'll, there'll be a whole vibe with young adults. We would love for you to join us uh, and fill this place up. So there is no preach. If you come at 5 p.m. next week, you'll watch soccer. That's as holy as it's getting. Uh, but the morning services will be normal. And then our Christmas services, uh, we have a Christmas Eve service and two Christmas morning services. And we'd love for you to invite the world to those. Uh, we really look forward to those of you who are in Durban with us, with great sewer and wonderful weather and just all the blessings of Durban. <laughs> so much to be grateful for and to pray for. Uh, but Today, we've got Lutz coming up, and, uh, and I was thinking about it because someone said to me, why aren't you preaching? Uh, because I just want to have a holiday. No, that's not why. Because, friends, this is a church, not a production. We raise up family here, not put people on show. And uh, Lutz is one of the most gifted, incredible youth pastors. He's raising kids to love Jesus in amazing ways. And so I'd love you to open your heart to this young man who may be discipling your kids uh, and through them discipling you. Uh, and why don't you just open your hearts because he carries Jesus in it and really open your minds to what he has to say. So give him a hand as he comes up. Thank you, Roscoe. Good morning, uh, everyone. It's so good to be with all of you this morning. As uh, Ross said, my name is Luto. Uh, you can call me Luti Lutz or just Lutz. Mm. <laughs> I didn't like that name when I first got it, but it stuck. Anyways, it's really awesome to be with you guys this morning. And uh, I think this time I'm going to jump straight into it for the sake of time. And I was saying in the first, and I'm going to say it again, that it's so awesome that we, we started with Baby dedications this morning, because we're getting into the, this Christmas series, and it's called uh, The Gift That Matters, and I think we have all know by now that like, we're talking about the person of Jesus and baby Jesus, and what happens often, especially in seasons like this and seasons like the past four years, is that we begin to overlook the significance of Christmas, especially if you've grown up in a Christian household. I think the story starts to become a story, and eventually it's background noise. But if we could look at this, the, the, the significance of this special baby who split history in two and changed, changed our lives forever with a with magnifying glass, if we could observe that, I think we could get so much out of it. And so as I was thinking about these baby dedications, it obviously led me to think about my own nephew. And if you know me or follow me on Instagram or even WhatsApp, you'll know that I've got a nephew. He's now four years old, and he's simply like the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. I love him to bits, and like the best times of my life is when I can go home and just hang out with my nephew. The worst time of my life is when I have to leave my nephew, and he makes, he lets me know about it because he like, he cries. And Flip, he is special. He's just super amazing. But the reason I thought of that is because my nephew was a, a gift in disguise. I'll explain that in a little bit. That he, he, we, I grew up in a Christian household, and so the, there's the four of us. There's my mother, myself, my, my younger brother, and my sister, my older sister. And she wasn't married when she had him, and so the circumstances around his birth were a little bit scary. And I remember the day that my sister told me, 
She'd been calling me quite a lot. I don't think first she knew that she was going to have a child, but she'd been calling me quite a lot going, I'm so worried about my mom. She's uh, stressed out about us. She, not me. I was doing the Lord's work. But my, <laughs> but my sister, because she wasn't working at the time, she was going a bit rogue, and my brother was also not working, and he was also just like too much time on his hands to do nonsense stuff, and they were with my mom, so she was... And my sister's like, I think she might even kick us out of the house. She just seems frustrated all the time. And so I took advantage of this as this holy middle child and started getting and said, how are you, mom? Are you good? Oh, I'm see, how's life at all, you know? And at that same time, now this pregnancy news would come, and I was at the dentist when it happened. And so my whole face, I remember waking up, and my whole face was in pain on the side, swollen cheeks, and I couldn't open this eye. It was so sore. It was just like pain from the top of my head, just like to the neck. And so I went to the dentist. And while I was at this dentist, filling in my forms, all the rest of that stuff, I sat down waiting for my turn. And I get this call from my sister. And she breaks the news to me. And so when she breaks the news, the whole world just goes like, like, the pain goes away. And it's replaced by like internal trauma. And I'm thinking, my mom is going to kill my sister and the baby. <laughs> And my brother's definitely getting kicked out of the house. I don't know about me yet. But it was traumatizing. And so I left the dentist without getting my sore face fixed. And I just took a walk. And I, I, I just walked far and long. And I thought about this whole thing. And my brain came back to me. I was like in the botanical gardens. And then I walked like, I was like, hey, my face hurts. <laughs> so I returned back to the dentist to get the... But the bottom line of that story is that it was flippin' scary. And then the months that ensued after that was obviously me always checking on my mom because I thought it's either she's going to kill herself or she's going to kill my sister. And my sister was talking to me as well, going, she's not talking to me. We don't talk. We'll even take drives together to go to the mall. And it was just months of tension. But then the baby arrived. And it, it was like magic. The most incredible gift. The most peace. The most unified family we've ever had in all our attention turned to this little thing, and he's been such a blessing to our lives. He's been, I'm convinced that he's the best baby that's ever been born after Jesus. I, call me biased. When, when people speak about like the sleepless nights and all, my sister was like, what are you talking about? Because this guy, is, he's a prince. And from time to time now, I'll be having like a bad, bad day, and it's almost like he knows. He doesn't live, he lives in Shelly Beach with my mom and my sister. But he'll send me voice notes. I don't know how he knows to find my face on there, but he'll send me a voice note. And he'll just say, hi, Lumeluto, ABC. And he'll, like, half the time I don't understand what he's saying. But the last one was this incredible thing. We said, it wasn't even incredible. It was just funny. Send me a voice note. And he was like, hi, Lumeluto, I miss you. When are you coming back? Lumeluto, no speak English. No speak English, Lumeluto. Only Kosa and Zulu. Only... Tosa and Zulu, if you speak English, I won't be your friend ever again, and I won't buy you pizza. <laughs> now, the irony of all of this is, too, is that he said the whole thing in English. <laughs> and the second is that I buy him pizza. He, does ne he never buys me pizza. And he's stingy with his pizza that I bought him. But anyways, just on speaking about that baby and the whole situation there, it brings me back to the person of Jesus. And I go, is it possible that we've got this precious, precious gift and we, we've either overlooked it or absolutely undervalued it? 
And so we're going to explore that today. But I just want to start by introducing, because we're going to touch on, on, the, on the idea of freedom. But in order to get there, we have to start somewhere else. But the key text for today that we've based the whole series on, actually, the key text for the series is from Isaiah 9. And it says, it says, The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased the joy. They rejoice before you. People rejoice at the harvest, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in, in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod on the, of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destroyed by burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we're going to sit on verse 4 and pick out the topic of freedom a little bit. So he goes there, For in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. I want to speak about those things, the burden, the bar across our shoulders and the rod of our oppressors. But in order to get there, I have to start somewhere else, and I often have to start here to make this case because this is a simple gospel case. And so I was speaking to our helper not the Holy Spirit, our actual helper at our house. And she's like figuring out the whole faith thing. She found out I'm a pastor and she's been reading some of the books I have at home. And, and we've been talking. And I spoke to someone else as well about this and, and around the same time, but it came down to the question, are you good? And I want you to think about that question for yourself and answer it in your head. And then hold the answer, but are you good? And so we're gonna investigate that investigate the merits of that thought, and then get back to this gift actually. Cool. And so, in order to break this down, we're going to look at Luke 7, verse 40 to 47. And so the, the, the context of the story is that Jesus is in, Jesus is in a house, is in Simon's house. Simon is a teacher of the law. I fumbled this earlier. But he's a teacher of the law, a holy man. I want you to understand that he is a holy man by society standards, by his own standards, and even by the people that he's with standards. And Jesus is in his house. Now, Jesus also got some other groupies or followers, and people are there, people that aren't as good as Simon. And so Simon is kind of scowling at this. And there's this lady amongst them that's, that's crying at Jesus' feet, making a whole mess, and she's wiping in his hair and anointing his feet with oil. He has, she brought in this alabaster joy, and she's broken out on his feet and anointed it, and she's singing him praises. She's just doing the whole lot. And Simon, in this, in this moment, thinks, if he was really a holy man, he would know who was touching him, that a sinner is touching him. And Jesus picks up on this, and so he introduces this in verse 40. He says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And so he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. 
Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I've come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So there's two parts of the sermon. The first is that we have to understand our humanity in order to appreciate this gift. And then we also have to Take a closer look at the gift in order to understand what it means for us and our freedom. So we're going to break down just that 7 verse 40 to 40 thing, and I've got, I've got just three points. So the first one is from the top, verse 41, and that first point is that we are all in debt. The Bible says, I think in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are all in debt. And so Jesus says here that there's two people, they've got money from a moneylender, one owed a lot, one owed a little, but both of them couldn't pay it back. And so whether you're sitting here and you believe that you owe a little or you owe a lot, the bottom line is that we cannot pay it back. When it comes to our salvation and our sin, we cannot pay for it ourselves. We fall short. And sometimes in the Christian's head, that just becomes something we say to keep with the status quo, but I don't think we believe it. And I'm leading with the proposition that I don't think we're as good as we are. So Jesus is making that point here. And, then it come, and in fact, he takes this point further. It's in Luke 17, verse, verse 7. He says this, he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Once you rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready to wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will you thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. The mistake we've made as people, as Christians, is that we've gone, by my works and my actions, I'm going to be good with God. Or I'm going to be good. And he's saying, even when you've been good, to the degree that you can be good, you've only done what you're supposed to do in the first place. It's not worthy of praise. You're an unworthy servant. And I remember the place I was in when I was thinking about this. I was walking back from gym, feeling super bad about myself, walking through a park. And I was talking to God and like, from a, like I'm guilty and I'm sorry, ABC. And when I looked at my Bible to get some kind of uh, encouragement, this is what I received. And I was like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I wasn't grateful for it straight away, but now I am. I am an unworthy servant, and I think we need to understand that we're not good because that is the precondition to understanding and appreciating the cost of the baby, the cost of the gift. And then he comes, and then we, we come to point number two. There's, a, there's an appropriate response to this. Verse 44 is that appropriate response when Jesus says, look at this woman and everything she's done since I've been here. Because you see, Simon, because he thought he was good, thought he was worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. 
He thought he was an equal. And so he has got this guest in his house, but he hasn't done anything for him. He hasn't even given him water. Yet this stranger, this lady, this sinner, has identified her need and has identified a source of help. And the appropriate response is that she weeps and she blesses him. And it's gratitude overflowing for the understanding of the gift. Another is from Simon Peter, the other, the other Simon. And his response is that he, once he realizes he's on, the, he's on the lake of Galilee, and once he realizes who Jesus is, he says, get away from me. I am a sinful man. And so that's why I wanted to start with the thing of asking you the question of, are you good? Because we have to come to the realization that we're not, that we're sinners, and then the appropriate response is, first, get away from me. But after that is a whole lot of gratitude, a whole lot of weeping, a, a life laid down because you understand the cost of the sacrifice and the price that was paid. Here's the contrast of that in, in verse 47. It ends with this. It says, well, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And so when we look at the baby Jesus or we look at ourselves and we're struggling to appreciate the sacrifice, we have to investigate whether we think, because it's not, it's not the fact that either has been forgiven little or forgiven much. I don't think that's the reality of the story, but Jesus is just illustrating that if you think you're good, you will not have a place or an appreciation for Jesus. And I've met people like that. The lady I've been speaking to, she's like, I, I get God. I follow God, but I'm not sure about this Jesus fella. And then I came to say, are you good? And she's like, yeah. There will never be a place for a savior in the world of a person who's good. And so if we're going to approach this subject of freedom, I think that we need to understand that freedom all of it, and I'm starting with, the, with primary freedom, the most important freedom. The one that's in here more, before it's outside, not liberty, not the, the to go anywhere, do whatever you want, but real freedom that the secondary freedom comes from. If we want to explore that, it begins with the realization that you're not as good as you think you are and the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And so, okay, I think I've convinced you. I think I've done a good case, at least to get you thinking, of, am I good? Now what? And I'm telling you, this is not bad news because as I was walking from the park that day, I thought about this some more and then I can't remember if I read on looking for where it turns and becomes good again or just had like a, a light bulb moment that, of course, I'm not good. But this is what makes this good news. This is what makes Jesus who he is, is that he's invited me in still. And so the Bible has got this tendency to tell these stories in like prophetic pictures and, and God has done this over time from the Old Testament to the New where he's painted the picture before he's done the thing and he said it time and time again that this is what will happen and this is what it will look like. And so I think from the beginning and I've, my favorite Hosea where he says to a holy man, go marry a woman of, of I, don't, I don't know what word to say, but she's, she's a lady of the night and he says marry her. And he's a prophet. He does it. 
and then life is good, and then life is bad. She leaves, and he finds her on the selling block. But Jesus says, I mean, God says to him, go find her again and marry again. And he had to pay a, pay a price to get her off that block. And then he says, now go back to my people and tell them that this is what I will do for them. A beautiful picture as we look into what this baby Jesus that we celebrate when it comes to Christmas is going to do for us or has done for us at this point in history. And it goes forward. There's another one from the Exodus story, and, and these guys are rebelling. And so God sends snakes, and these snakes bite them, and when they get poisoned, it, they die. The snake bites lead to death. So there was black mambas in the desert. But anywho, that happens, and then God says to Moses, lift up the bronze snake. There's this, out of his rod there, turns into a bronze snake, and he says, lift it up, and the people must look at it, and they will be healed. And then in the New Testament, he closes that loop by saying, I am the bronze snake lifted in the desert. Look to me for your healing. Man, isn't that just beautiful? And so now, this story that, that brings all of this full circle for me about this trade offer, it's another prophetic picture right before the time. And so Jesus has been arrested. And now he's been tried, and the, and the, and the Pharisees and Sadducees have already, they've already judged him, and they've already chosen for him to die, but they send him to, uh, to Caesar, and they're going, you need to make a judgment, we want him crucified, and the crowd is calling for him to be crucified and the governor says, in Matthew 27, verse 15 to 21, the governor again said to them, which two, of, which two do you want me to release for you? So he's asking, between Barabbas and Jesus, who do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with, this, with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And this is where the two things get married. The, the, story, the, the, the idea that I was putting across about our goodness and the gift of the sacrifice that we underappreciate. Because Barabbas was a bad man, a troublemaker, a rebel. He deserved everything that he had coming to him. He is, in some words, an unworthy servant. Probably not a servant at all. And on the other hand, even the, 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 the highest authority of Rome at the time is going, I can recognize that this man has done nothing. I can almost picture Jesus with the same innocence he had as a little baby. Silence as he stood accused. And they're calling for him, let him be crucified. This is the cost of the gift And so what we often do with that is that we go, when we read history, we put ourselves on the side of good. Maybe I would have been Mary weeping for Jesus. Maybe I would have been, would have been one of the other disciples. I would have been, uh, I think it was Simon Peter again who, who, cuts, who cut the ear of, of, the, of the one person, of the so soldier. Sorry, my brain is fumbling. But we put ourselves on the side of good. And then we go, shame on them. But the importance of the reality of the story is for us 
to recognize that we are Barabbas. Me and you, we are rebels and criminals. And given an opportunity, we will pursue our own way. We will pursue our own gender. We will turn away from God. And time and time again, we do it. But Jesus in this point, as innocent as he is, says, I will take their place. And, and this is said so perfectly in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, 20, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A retelling of that same trade-off where I, a bad man, I love how Paul says, it says, I, Paul, am a sinner. Or, or it's, 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 yes, I think he says we are all sinners, but I being the worst of them. And this is the recognition that we need to have here is that I am a sinner, you are a sinner, and possibly the worst of them. But God sent his son and his love for us, Jesus, to take our place. He took absolute perfection and purity, absolute innocence, and he traded. He said, I will go, I will take your place so that you could be, so that you could be the righteousness of God and nothing else justifies you except the finished work of Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. And there's a song, and I've been listening to it for the whole time that I've been preparing for the sermon. It's called Man of Sorrow by Hillsong. I wanted to come home with it because I think it embodies what, I, what, I, what, what I've been speaking about really well. But I'm just going to read verses because God, God made me on a busy day. He forgot to make me with good vocal cords, cords like every black pastor. <laughs> I'm not mad, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just hurt. <laughs> But it says, the first verse, well, one of the first verses goes, sent from, he- sent from heaven, God's own son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree and rec- reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Again, identifying and acknowledging that we're not good. And if we were there at that time, we probably would have denounced and denied and shouted, crucify him. But the second part of it finishes the story. It says, now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. And so in closing, as you leave here to this morning, yes, I'm in tonight mode. As you leave here this morning and go forward into your Christmas and into your next season, into your new year, I just pray that you would ponder about this idea. You don't have to believe me straight away, but go investigate yourself and then look carefully at the story. And I just pray that as you do that, you would get a realization that you're not as good as you think you are if you think you're good. And even the other end is that you're not as bad as you think you are if you think you're bad, that it's disqualified you from the finished work of Jesus. And then I pray that that spills over into a response of gratitude where you've got no option but to break open whatever your alabaster joy is and undo your hair. I'm not going to undo my hair. And fall at the feet of Jesus in praise and worship and adoration, regardless of the real situation. And I'll tell when I say the real situation, I mean life right now. And I'll tell you what will happen, is that this freedom is more important than 
the worldly freedom, but it doesn't mean it can't affect it. I believe that it begins here as we have a revelation and a realization of who Jesus is and what the cost was for the sacrifice. We appreciate, we walk with him and we stay with him. And his freedom starts to talk to how we become free in our finances, become free in our family, become free in situations, become free in our wisdom of navigating our worldly freedom. And so as, as you leave here, I just pray that you would Walk out not feeling bad that you are bad, but thinking about it and then investi investigating the person of Jesus to come to a place where you appreciate the gift that truly matters. Can we pray? Cool. So Father, thank you so much for everything that you've done and are doing for us, God. Thank you for a simple gospel that says, for God so loved us, you so loved us that whoever from the worst of sinners to possibly the best of us, whoever believes in you shall not perish but have everlasting life, God. Thank you that you've paid the price for us to walk with you. Thank you that you've dealt with sin so that we're no longer slaves to it. We're no longer slaves to fear, to guilt, to shame, to condemnation. And I just pray that as we leave here this morning, you would impress that on our hearts so that we would leave feeling completely free in the way that truly matters. Father, thank you for all of your gifts. And I just pray that out of a place of appreciating you and walking with you, we would have access to all the rest now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Please feel free to join us for coffee and, I mean, tea and coffee in the coffee area. There's also bacon egg rolls, guys. Um, there's all bacon rolls. They've put extra bacon because there's no egg. And those are 20 bucks. Thank you so much, guys.